Hey there, I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Welcome back to the show. Hope you've been enjoying these shows. And last time we said this, and if you're a first time listener, welcome to the show. Welcome to listening to the Minority Money Podcast. If you're a long time listener, we appreciate you coming back. It's always, always, always a pleasure to have you. Wanted to just say some things, man. We've been having all kinds of stuff going on in terms of different months and different things that we're trying to celebrate. And we just want to thank you for your listening. And one thing that we wanted to ask you to do, I heard this on another podcast and I wanted to try it here. So this is my call to action for you. If you're listening to the podcast today, if you have been listening to our podcast, if you're a first time listener or a long time listener, what I'm going to ask you to do is take a screenshot of whatever episode you're listening to and please post it on social media. Right now we're doing IG. You can tag minority money on IG. I want to see how many people are listening and how many of our listeners on uh, Instagram? Because we do have a, a small following there and we want to make sure that we acknowledge you. So if you have a chance to listen to an episode, take a screenshot, tag us in it, Minority Money. That's Minority underscore money on Instagram. Minority underscore money on Instagram. And that is how we can increase awareness and let other people know what they should be listening to. So we thank you, thank you, thank you for your support as always. And now we're going to jump right into the show today. We got something good for you today. It's going to, you know, every time we come in here, we always try to bring you the fire guests. We always try to bring the hot topics in. And we know cannabis has been a topic. Okay. Cannabis has been a hot topic. People have been asking about it in terms of investing, in terms of banking, in terms of a lot of different questions with just some cannabis ETFs out there. Now there's all kinds of things going on around cannabis. And so today we are joined by Jonte James. Welcome to the show, Jonte, first of all. Thank you. Emma. really appreciate it. Hello, everyone. Excited about today. I'm pumped, man. One, we get to have you come on. Two brothers on here, two entrepreneurs getting to chop it up, talk about business, talk about money, talk about life, and talk about cannabis. And I think that this is something that people are going to love. I'm excited about it. And if you wouldn't mind, give the minority money in the community a small background about who you are and how you got to where you're at. No, absolutely. And thanks again. Yeah, so I'm CEO and founder of a company called NatureTrack. NatureTrack is an enterprise risk management platform for financial institutions, banking, cannabis. So how I've kind of come to where I am today is that I started my first company at 25. I sold it at 28. I've been in the VC or the venture capital game for the last you know, 10 plus years, helping early stage startups such as NatureTrack be able to you know, get their seed funding to series A funding, go from that proof of concept to launch and having actual viable product in the market. And that led me to having the opportunity for NatureTrack. I mean, this goes back to 2016. I actually had some really good friends that were in the quote unquote traditional market. And we were preparing for the legalization in California and they wanted to franchise their grow business. And so they taught me all the loopholes that they were going around under Prop 215, which is the Medical Marijuana Act here in California. Now, obviously it's adult use, and it's legal, but they taught me all the loopholes around the regulations that were coming. And so it was at that time where I was like, well, hey, I don't know about franchising your grow business, but there's a platform play in here. And we, mm -hmm. we jumped into the market. And so 
that's when Nature Track was formed at that time. We set out to build a platform to fill in the gaps of compliance to allow small and medium people be able to profit in this, you know, emerging and booming industry before big ag or big pharma came and took it over. And so we really started from that compliance side and aiding the operators from cultivation all the way to dispensaries to then now solving the biggest problem in cannabis, which was banking. Mm-hmm. And so we took all that knowledge that we learned about how the product moves, how the life cycle of the product is, you know, just the personas of the cultivators, the manufacturers, the dispensary owners, all of that wrapped around with the traditional market or, you know, what people commonly call the black market. I like to say the traditional market. Mm-hmm. And then we're able to provide transparency and visibility to how the product moves and how that relates to money coming into the bank. And so we built a proprietary technology called MAD, which is Marijuana Anomaly Detection. So this allows us to track the product and the money for the financial institutions. So institutions that are licensing our platform can now safely and profitably bank cannabis. Man, okay. Okay, we got so many questions. So many questions. Like, you, you know, I like to get it. I was like, man, I got quite, I'll try to, have, I didn't even write them down. But I'm, so first of all, so we know the cannabis banking and then the MAD, we got to talk about that a little bit. The MAD, that's what you call it, the product, the technology that you have. But let's back up. Let's talk about the problem because this is a problem. And the problem is the banking part, like not having access to banking. So I wanted you to talk a little bit about why, you know what I mean? Just back up a little bit in the why, because I know, because I gave you my, we talked about the little banking background that I had. So I know that is difficult, but talk through us about why it's so difficult for cannabis banking to happen. Then we know what the solution is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first thing is federally illegal, right? Mm-hmm. Even though the states legalized, it's still federally illegal. Mm-hmm. And so banks don't have a compliance program or an infrastructure to support this high risk industry that's booming. The other part is compliance is expensive. So although you see these billions of dollars being generated for cannabis with it being federally illegal. Institutions are still not able to lend completely. You know, they have to build out these huge compliance infrastructures. So although they're getting deposits, it's not as profitable in some cases as people may think. And then if you look at it from the actual operator's perspective, a lot of these men and women where, you know, again, in the traditional market, they don't have a lot of credit. They deal in a lot of cash. And so there's this black box and, you know, there's this stigma around cannabis that we had to demystify. And when I talk to operators and it even happened to myself. And so this was one of the reasons actually why we kind of pivoted into this risk management platform is that once a financial institution found out we were in cannabis, bank account closed. Mm. I had four bank accounts closed in the last five years. My bank account has repeatedly been frozen. You hate to get the message when you log on to your online banking. It's like, hey, you got to go inside and see the Mm -hmm. representative. (laughs) So then now now I'm going inside and they're like, hey, Mr. James, boom, here's a cashier's check with all your money. We can no longer bank you. And they don't tell you anything else. And so many operators are dealing with that today where their bank accounts are getting closed. They can't get home loans, auto loans. The employees are even dealing with it when 
an employer, if you're working for a cannabis company and now they're doing payroll, if you're with like Wells Fargo or B of A, if they trigger, they can shut down your account for that. And so there's just this huge problem where you have this $27 billion industry, you know, projected to be close to 70 billion by 2025, but yet 80% of the individuals are unbanked. And you look at it from, oh, you may know some super large brands. Let's talk about cookies mm-hmm. or, you know, the Kalivas of the world. Yeah, they can get a bank account. Everybody wants to bank the top people. Mm-hmm. But how does that help, you know, the small, medium businesses or the social equity side, the communities that were, you know, highly affected on the war on drugs? Now that they're entering into the market, how does that help them get banking? How does that get them access to capital? None of that is happening. And so that's where our platform really sets out. Of course, you can bank the top people. They have, you know, they're well-funded, so they can put in all these procedures and policies on cash management, et cetera, et cetera, that makes Mm -hmm. the bank feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. But when you're a startup company and, you know, you're just rubbing two nickels, just trying to make payroll to get through, how are you going to get that bank account when now, if a bank is banking cannabis, they're charging you 2000 bucks a month just to bank cannabis. Not only that, if you have cash, which is still 95% or maybe even 98% predominantly cash, I'm going to charge you anywhere from one to 3% just to bring your money into the bank. And then the trifecta of that is that the government has their hands in everybody's cookie jar. And here in California, you're being taxed 38% of your mm-hmm. of your income before so you add all these things together it's just you know it's just a huge conundrum and that's why we really set out to do that so our platform now when we're working with the institutions allows them to lower all those fees we're now able to help bank the unbanked because we provide that visibility and transparency and we normalize the cannabis operator to the institution and so we always tell the institutions you don't need to know cannabis We do. We're the cannabis experts. Mm -hmm. We validate every single dollar before it ever enters the institution. And we're the only company that does that. There it is. There it is. Problem and a solution. Nature track. (laughs) So talk to us about that proprietary, you know, the anomaly detection. Talk to us about that technology. You said you alluded to it. I know there's a little bit more on it, but I'd love to hear about that because the way that you, well, first of all, the way you phrased the problem, like I didn't even realize the problem was like that. You know, I know there's a problem, but when you get into the difference, so it's like, okay, so now you have all this cash and if you put the cash in, they're going to charge you to put it in and then there might freeze your accounts and then just send you a cashier's check. And then if you get, you know what I mean? Like there's just so many different hoops that you have to jump through just to try to do this business. And I knew there was a few, but I didn't know the, the magnitude of the difference between the state approval, right. And the federal still being illegal federally. So then it, you know, the banking part of it, I totally get that. So, but anyhow, yeah, it's interesting to hear it in the terms that you're explaining. I love it. Hopefully you guys enjoy this back to the technology. Yeah. So mad marijuana anomaly detection. So that's what we coined it. We actually kind of came up with it with the whole war on drugs with Reagan. You know, they used to have the mad character. If you go way back, I don't know how, you know, no, I remember that. I remember that. There. But you used to see those cartoons. So we really kind of played off of that to create this. And we're like, oh, shoot, marijuana anomaly detection. There we go. Mm -hmm. It really comes from a production and a supply chain level. And so if you think about cultivation, there's pretty much like four stages, right? You have 
the immature stage or the cloning stage, the genetics of the plant. Then you're going into the veg, to the flower, to eventually the harvest. And so we're able to monitor those stages of life cycle from a cultivation perspective. Mm -hmm. And we understand where inversion and diversion or where illicit activity would happen. How would you hide what you were doing? And so when we talk to an institution, we're like, hey, okay, you're going to bank this cultivator. Our first question that I always ask is, how much can they produce? And, you know, the eyes just glass over because they have no idea. And I was like, that's exactly the point. You have no idea how much this cultivator can produce, whether it's outdoor, mixed light, indoor, whatever the case is. So we know by the square footage, if you have, you know, 5,000 square foot building, well, all 5,000 square feet are not going to be able to grow. You may only have 2,000 square feet of canopy. And so from there, we're able to see, because all this information is from the government to get your license. So you know how many lights they have in each room, the strains that they're growing, et cetera, et cetera. So all these data points, and we have close to um, a thousand data sets that are machine learning is monitoring in that is taken into consideration when validating deposits. So we're watching it from a production level, from a cultivation, manufacturing, distribution, and a dispensary level. What's their puts and takes on what a good actor looks like mm -hmm. and how we analyze that data and how we validate that data and can they produce what they're producing? And so once our system is validating that, then we use third-party data to now validate price as Cannabis is growing, you know, the price per pound is going down. The, you know, the traditional market is exploding because nobody has to hide anymore. They're really out mm -hmm. in plain sight. But is that pound of, you know, gelato 33, is that really $2,000 that mm -hmm. you can sell it for? Or is mm -hmm. it really a thousand, right? So mm -hmm. we look at the average price, price rates to make sure that they're within a certain range to validate that cash. And then we integrate into their accounting. And so, I mean, we're asking for a lot of data from the cannabis operators, and then we're able to validate money in, money out, and how much cash they're vaulting. So once we're taking in those three components, we're then able to validate the funds prior to it coming to the institution. So we're taking all the legal cannabis sales. We now run it through MAD. We've looked at their production levels. We looked at who they've done business with. Are they legal? Are they licensed in the area? Now we're looking at the pricing. Is that within range? Oh, have you collected the money? Yes, mm -hmm. you have collected the money. All right, this is how much can come into the bank. And we're doing that on every single transaction. And so to date, we validate over $2.5 billion in cannabis-related transactions, and over $900 million has been cash. Nice. That's crazy, because as I'm hearing, sitting here thinking, you know, we're out here in Madeira, which is Agland. So you're given just the numbers of the products that we get on almonds and pistachios and apricots and everything else that we grow here. Like those numbers that you're, that technology already exists in the ag land, not yes, necessarily. Absolutely. So basically like the innovation is taking that technology or taking that concept and bringing it over here. This is huge, bro. This is, it's hitting like, it's like, it's like, you know what I mean? Cause I told you, I always wait to hear what's going on in the actual show. So yeah, this is deep, bro. I like this. It's incredible. And just the science behind it, right? People want to make it sound like there's art and science to what's going on with how they do this. And one thing that I'm thinking about, because you're talking about the price and how much you can get this strand for and whatnot. And I'm thinking about like, just to draw the correlation on the West side here, they have an almond cohort. An almond cohort sets the price 
for the almonds <laughs> for the world. That's what they do. So, you know, if you're going to buy this many almonds, this is what you're going to get. You get the shells, you get the holes, whatever you're going to do, however you're going to do the product and nothing gets wasted, but they track everything just like you, what you're saying. They weigh everything, they do everything out. It's exact. And I love it because this is just like any other crop. Yeah. It's just farming at the end. It's farming. It's just what it is. Just farming. So how did you guys become the banking experts? How did Nature Track become the cannabis banking experts? Yeah, well, we came from the cannabis industry. So, I mean, we've had partnerships with KPMG, Ernst & Young. Mm-hmm. So we've been working on the compliance on that side. We're actually going to be launching a government track and chase platform in the Virgin Islands. And so prior to us building or this interface for our risk management platform, we were providing what they call track and trace, which is you know standard compliance for the operators. So mm-hmm. even prior to this, this is in our evolution from 20, you know, 16 to 2018, that we were providing free software for cultivators all the way to dispensaries that they could track and manage their operation, their business through our platform. And that's how we learned about all the data. And so that's really where we became the cannabis experts on that. Also, we employ, you know, people from the traditional market. So we understand what's going We still have very good ties to the industry to understand what new ways as this market emerges, Mm -hmm. you know, that people are still working to go around. You know, there's always going to be bad actors. And so we have to stay up to date. And so, you know, the operators help us on, hey, this is how people would do this. And we just keep building it into our system. Mm -hmm. It's really crazy. It's almost like, you know, we're the reverse hackers, right? They have these competitions in Vegas and other places where they have, you know, the world's hackers come to try to break something and then they hire them. Mm -hmm. And so we're similarly doing that in our stuff. We know all the technology, but we're asking the industry to help us and they want to help us because ultimately they want to be banked. What Mm -hmm. I hear all the time is that, hey, they want to go to their school's, you know, parent teacher conference or, you know, tell them what you're parent does at work today, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they want to say, hey, I'm a cultivator. I have a dispensary and be proud about that and not have to hide and have the stigma that's associated with, especially when you're looking at minorities, right? The crazy thing, and I was actually talking to somebody about this the other day, the crazy thing is that us as black and brown have been affected the most by the Mm -hmm. war on drugs, specifically cannabis. We won't talk about the other, you know, legal substances. But if you go, as you learn cannabis history, I mean, everybody's in this. I mean, <laughs> there's so many, you know, of the other ethnicities and groups that are in cannabis that have been the caretakers. I mean, there's so many white people that mm-hmm. have, they've been always the farmers. Like, mm-hmm. where were we getting it at one point in time mm-hmm. <laughs> to actually sell it? But then we were the ones that were the face of it and were in jails and et cetera. So now that it's legal, they're profiting from it big time because they didn't have to hide per se, or they were able to have credit or they come from a different background where, you know, they had access to resources and understood money a little bit different. Now that it's legal for, for the entire world. Now we're playing catch up with, you know, having to deal with incarcerations and getting records expunged. And then now they have social equity programs, but they're really just Mm band-aids. And so now the people are able to get social equity licenses, but then you can't fund a building or you can't get a license until you have a building. And then Mm -hmm. now it's like, oh, well, I can't lease a building because some people who are (laughs) leasing property managers, 
They don't want to take cash as payment. Mm -hmm. Well, I can't get a bank account, right? Mm -hmm. It all comes back to banking. I had a partner of mine who was raising some funds and they had secured about $2 million. Well, they didn't have a bank account. And so they lost that raise because the investor is like, well, how am I going to give you the money? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm not going to give you cash. Where do I wire it? How do I put that? And this is before we started banking. It's like they didn't have a bank account. And then there were, you know, a couple of opportunities out there, but they were at that time, they were charging 7% Mm -hmm. on the $2 million. And so the investor is just like, no, we're not doing it. So (laughs) it all comes back to the banking site. It's so crazy. Like just listening to all this stuff and then even like the war on drugs. And we can touch on that a little bit, you know, the charges for marijuana use and how they use that to, you know, create mass incarceration. Right. And then there's so many different things. There's so many different ways that, that that impacted the communities of color, specifically black community at that time. Latinos were affected by it as well. It, it just people of color were affected by these laws and same people made money off that. You know how much money they make right. off of inmate. You know, they make tons of money off that. It's just so crazy. When you get to this point, right? We talk about the war on drugs specifically. And then now it's another way to keep minority businesses, I think, because minorities are probably the primary people trying to, you know, start these businesses. And now we have federal regulation to not let it happen. And then, you know, it's like the cart of the horse. Well, I need to get a bank, but you can't get a bank because it's this type of business. And I can't get it. You know what I mean? It sucks. How can Nature Track help support minorities in creating generational wealth? Absolutely. Well, my goal is to actually start my own bank, whether it be for cannabis or moving forward, now that I understand the ins and outs. Mm -hmm. But how we're really supporting from a Nature Track perspective is that we're working with the social equity programs closely Mm -hmm. and a lot of the advocates in order to connect them to our institutions that actually have banking programs. Mm -hmm. And it's part of our sales process that when an institution licenses our product, we encourage as a best practice that they incorporate a social equity program in there as well. So if they're charging, you know, $1,000 for a bank account for the social equity program, they're charging 250 or 500, Mm -hmm. or maybe they waive the fees completely. And so we make sure we do have that woven in to everything that we're doing. It's not just about us selling, you know, software to make money there. It's like, well, how do we help moving forward? In addition to that, once the institution actually implements our software and they're ready to start banking cannabis, we then help minorities, you know, get the bank accounts, but we connect them to the ecosystem. So now if you're starting a brand, hey, I can connect you with the cultivator that has a bank account. I connect you with a distributor that can help you create your brand or offer several products that you can white label and we can get you, you know, retail shelf space, right? Mm -hmm. Here in San Francisco, they have a social equity initiative at the retail level that I forgot the exact percentage, but I want to say like 10 to 15% of shelf space has to be dedicated to social equity. And so we can create that pipeline. So we're trying to help further, you know, yes, you got the banking. All right, that's good. Now we're out the gate. We're stretching now, but but let's help you get to start running and being efficient on your own. And let's plug you into, into these programs that they have so that you can get access to product, that you can get access to people, and then that you can start generating revenue. So we, we encompass that all of it. Definitely. You know, 
being able to support other businesses and help them grow being a minority business owner myself and listening to what you started and what you guys have created over there is, is awesome. Um, I know you guys had to do, you know, a lot to get there, but what I wanted to talk about, what I wanted you to talk to us about is the difficulties of establishing a startup, raising funds, right. And doing that as a black founder and a black entrepreneur, because it's hard enough just to do it, <laughs> right. It's hard enough to go tell someone, give someone proof of concept idea, you know what I mean? And then say, okay, this is what we want. And then say, yeah, I want all this stuff. And then they hop on the call with you and say, I mean, they might know by your name. You know what I mean? <laughs> Talk about that. Share with us, please. Yeah, man. It's crazy. I want everybody out there that's listening to your podcast <laughs> right now. I tell people all the time, I wish I was just working for somebody. Like sometimes it's just mm -hmm. so hard, especially mm -hmm. just being an entrepreneur. I equate it. You know, I, I love sports. I'm still an athlete at heart. It's like trying to go to the pros, really. Mm -hmm. When you start your own business, especially if you're creating technology and stuff, you're trying to get to the NBA. And everybody's out to kind of stop you. And then now tie in that, you know, you're a minority and it's like, and then I'm in banking. It's like, mm -hmm. hold on, time out. Mm -hmm. You know, I go by JJ for Nature Track. So nobody knows me as John Tate. <laughs> I go by JJ. <laughs> so that when they see me, they're like, oh, you're JJ. It's like, yeah, yeah. it's too late. I'm, yeah, here. This, like, <laughs> I'm already here now. Now, yeah, I'm already here now. Oh, no, but it, it's, it's so tough because. I mean, I bootstrapped my first company and it was just from that mindset. One of my mentors is this Jewish guy, Ephraim Lindenbaum, love him to death. And we were working with Will I Am and Universal Music Group and they had this whole platform going on. And this was kind of my first introduction into the game. Mm -hmm. And he's like, hey, so, you know, we're setting up this deal. So what do you want? Do you want shares or do you want a salary? And I was like, well, what's my salary going to be? And mm -hmm. They're like, oh, we're going to pay you six figures. I was like, what? Yeah. You're about to pay me six figures. I was like, give me that. He's like, you sure? I'm taking equity. I was like, you're giving me six figures, right? Mm -hmm. Well, what it turns out, they took the equity and I took, you know, the six figures, which was great, but they made close to $25 million <laughs> from that equity. And I was like, oh man, hold on. Why didn't you tell me? And he taught me one of my biggest lessons in the startup. He's like, he was like, Jante, it's not my job to tell you what the right deal to make is. Mm -hmm. You have to understand what you're able to do and what you're going to profit from. And so, and I look at that from just the startup and the entrepreneurial side is that we have to change our thinking. I think a lot of people, when we're starting our startup, it's like, hey, I have a great idea. Now mm -hmm. give me your money. And mm -hmm. it doesn't work that way, mm -hmm. right? And so you really have to approach it as like, you have to create the business and create the momentum in order for people to invest. If your first thought is, I'm going to create this business and somebody's going to fund me, you are going to run into so many challenges that you're just going to eventually give up at the end of the day. And hopefully you have that stick-to-itiveness that you fight through that and you get through that barrier. Mm -hmm. But I had to change my mind on, okay, I'm going to create something, but I'm going to create value. And that value is going to bring the money. And so as an entrepreneur, even though you have that great idea, is somebody going to pay you for this? And if they're going to pay you for this, how much are they going to pay you for this? It sounds very simple, 
But the crazy thing is, and I made these mistakes all the time, is that I would create stuff. I would have free things. I got all these people on. And then it's like, okay, it's time to pay me. And they're like, ah, it's not going to work. And I'm trying to raise money to keep stuff going to now figure out the business model. Right? So it doesn't matter whether they pay you a penny, a dollar, a hundred dollars. The fact is somebody gave you money. And that's the hardest thing to do is to get somebody to part with money to buy your product. It's even harder when you're investing. And it's hard for us minorities because just traditionally, and we know the background, we don't have to go through it here, but you know, we've grown up where our parents or generations before us may not have had that access to capital. So we're not able to knock on our uncle or dad's or mom's shoulder to say, hey, I get this leg up. So it's even more important that when we create the structure of our business, that the infrastructure is already set to turn revenue and to generate that revenue, even as small as you know a few pennies or a few dollars, because that signifies that you have something. And from there, that's what will attract the money. But man, it's been a huge hurdle. I mean, I've raised 3.5 million to date. We're closing on a little bit more money. I'm here, but in with my previous startup and when I was working in the venture capital world, I mean, I raised close to $300 million for companies like NatureTrack that had no potential of what NatureTrack has. And now we're sitting with this huge potential and it's like pulling teeth. Mm -hmm. It's really tough. And I can get operators to particularly invest because all the SEC filings and all that, you know, they want to invest cash. And then, you know, my board is like, nope. We can't take cash. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so even on mm-hmm. our side, it's like, what? We're servicing the cannabis industry. We need to raise funds. Yeah. We have cannabis operators that say, you guys are doing an amazing thing. We want to invest in you because we're spending $60,000, $250,000 a year just to bank. Mm-hmm. So here, here's our hundred grand for you to give us free banking. Mm-hmm. And then even on our side, I'm being met with, nope, can't take cash. Yep. And so- you run into that. And, you know, I spoke earlier about accounts being frozen and stuff. It's very real. I've mm-hmm. had investors who, you know, their account got frozen, but, you know, luckily they have, you know, other resources, they were able to get accounts, but we're all still kind of in that space, but just entrepreneurship, you know, being a minority, being a black founder, it's tough. And even when we reach out to, you know, the VCs in the capital that look like us, that feel like us, that understand the pain, then we still got to be the biggest, brightest, and the best mm-hmm. at that time. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, when I exit out of Nature Track, and I'm going to speak that into existence because I know it's going to happen. You know, one of my next goals is to create my own VC and mm-hmm. really understand from, you know, a C stage and really put in place all the mechanics to help entrepreneurs get off the ground right at the beginning. Man, that sounds incredible. I love it. And I definitely would say we'll have you back to talk about that. Because that's something like when you're talking about VC venture capital, for those that don't know what VC is in being able to take a company like what you've done here and what you want to do is nothing short of amazing. And what you're saying is I caught it when you said it, but you were like, we got to turn profit right away. We got to do this. And basically what I heard was there is no plan B. You don't have a plan B. You got plan A and then we got plan A. And then if plan A don't work, you better go back to the list to get back to what's the rest of the plan because it's only plan A. So working plan A has to be the only option. Right. Pivoting is a bad word in entrepreneurship. So just everybody out there. So if you ever say you pivot, try to find another word to say. It's like, oh, we found another strategic 
opportunity. <laughs> Another strategic alignment that we wanted to, to that we wanted to follow. Man, this has been awesome. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. And as you know, this is the Minority Money Podcast where we're changing the complexion of wealth. Jonte, what motivates you, inspires you to grow, learn, and lead? Yeah, I think it's come from my my father and mother. I was always raised to be greater. If I look back at my youth and you know how I've grown up again with having that sports background, like I was in the junior Olympics when I was 11, and then I was going to get drafted to the MLB out of high school. I got hurt. And then I started on my basketball career in sports. I was actually in the NBA Summer League. Um, you know, I'm not tall enough. I'm only six feet. <laughs> so that didn't help. But school got paid for and all that good stuff. But I've always looked at it like, hey, I was supposed to be making millions of dollars. And how do I help? But also looking at it from my family perspective. And this is really my driving force is my family is that everybody sacrificed for me to get where I'm at everybody in my family, my dad's side, my mom's side. I was one of the first ever to go to college and graduate when I was, you know, traveling in sports. Everybody was helping pay for when I was on my traveling teams and everything else, helping me get hotels, making sure I had food, shoes, the whole nine, right? Everybody chipped in. It was really a village within the family to help me get there. And so I just feel that I always, I don't always the wrong word But I owe it to them that the opportunities they set in front of me, Mm -hmm. that I still continue to knock down those doors and get up. And so no matter the adversity or the challenges that I face as a minority or a Black founder, I know I'm in rare position and that for everybody who's going to come be after me, I got to get through this. I got to solve this. And there's a reason why our upbringing And our way of thinking allows us to be disruptive because Mm -hmm. we've always had to make a way out of no way. And that's why we can make these disruptive technologies. This is why we can have our talents exude in so many different things just besides entertainment and sports, right? Like we have, there's so much more Mm -hmm. to us as minorities because we've had to grow up with a different mentality than everybody else. So it always keeps me waking up each morning, striving to be successful, that I have this opportunity to be here, but I'm opening the door for more people to come after me. And so I just always keep that in mind. So no matter how hard it gets, one foot in front of the other, you know, eat the elephant one bite at a time, whatever adage you you want to use from there. But at the same time, there's people that sacrificed for me to be here that, you know, I'm able to make a living that my dad and mom didn't see close. You know, my mom was a bank teller (laughs) when I was growing up, she was making $30,000 a year. And so I look at it that, you know, I was one of those bratty kids. I'm sure that we all were that, Hey, I needed those Jordans. And so now I understand my mom was trying to get me, you know, $150 Jordans back in 95, 96, 97. She was only making 30 grand, like that 150 to come up with for some shoes is tough. Not only that, I was making her leave work because, you know, I couldn't leave school. So she's standing in line for me at, mm-hmm. <laughs> at the malls to get mm-hmm. the shoes. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just looking back on that stuff. And it's like, you know, there's so much more to this financial game that we're not taught. And if I knew what I know about finance and stuff now and, you know, your podcast, Minority Money Podcast, this is such an amazing platform for this. because. 
if you would have been around when I was a kid, it would have changed my life because now when I'm in this fintech world and I'm in banking, I'm like, no wonder all the Wall Street people are making so money. The Rockefellers, it's like there's keys to the kingdom that the information was there. We just didn't know how to unlock it. In the schools, in my opinion, they didn't teach me this. They didn't teach. There's nothing I learned in school that I'm doing today, period. And now that I know, I'm like, man, there's so many years I want to get back. But now when I talk to the youth, talk to my cousins, family, it's like, hey, you got to understand this. We always want money because we want to get the new clothes. We want to shine. We want to get that nice house, the nice car. But in wanting money, you got to know how to make that money work for you. Money's a tool. Mm-hmm. to everybody else, right? And to us, it's an object. I need it. But money's a tool for everybody else. So I can ask people and I'm like, hey, invest 25 grand. I get a 25 grand check just like that. Mm-hmm. But prior, people weren't able to do that. You know, I go to my uncle, hey, give me 25. Oh, I can't do that mm-hmm. because he doesn't know how to use money as a tool. So it's like having, you know, your platform and then seeing this, it's just like, man, my eyes are like wide open now. I don't look at money, the same thing anymore. I look at it as a tool mm-hmm. when, you know, as entrepreneurs, we have payroll, we have employees, you know, my burn rate is like a hundred grand a month. Like mm-hmm. I get a hundred grand a month, like clockwork. And it doesn't even phase me having a hundred grand. I was like, you know, high school, college was like, Oh man, I'm rich. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, well, yeah, this hundred grand a month is great, but I'm trying to scale the company. You know, I need to spend 300 grand a month how do I raise money to get 300 grand a month mm-hmm. so that I get that rate of return so that we're scaling and we're turning this company from, you know, a $16 million valuation now to that 50, that hundred million valuation. But Jante, those Use numbers money are too big. Jante, you can't do those kind of numbers. <laughs> Jante, you can't make that kind of money. You talking about spending a hundred thousand dollars a month. You talking about spending $300,000 a month. You can't do that. You better stop that. If someone's going to hear you say you can. Exactly. That's where you need to be. That's what we need to hear. And people need to hear that on this show because the numbers do increase and you can make more money than you ever thought you would make. If you do what's right, just do what's right. Get that figured out. You know what I mean? And and I think that you're, I didn't want to interrupt because you was on one, but I had to throw (laughs) that in there real quick. You was on, you was on, you're absolutely right with what you were saying, bro. And I think that what you're doing is incredible. I want to ask you this. You answered some of the other questions I was going to ask without asking them. So cool. I don't even have to go through those, but as we're wrapping up, man, you had so many nuggets you already gave a whole bunch of nuggets, but can you drop some more? Can you drop some more? Can we get some more out of you? Can we get, you know, if you were going to be able to give some parting gifts to the listenership, what would you have to say to them? This will be my final <laughs> nugget that, you know, that I'll drop on that I tell myself all the time is that as an entrepreneur and raising money or just a minority in general, everybody tries to point out our weaknesses and not our strengths. And so if you use sports, everybody's like, oh, he's great at this, but oh, he can't shoot. He can't mm-hmm. pass, but mm-hmm. yet he made it to the league. If your strengths are your strengths for a reason, hone those. Be excellent at your strengths. Understand where your weaknesses are. That's where you build the team. You don't need to make your weaknesses your strength. You build your team around you to fill those gaps because you as the entrepreneur, as the visionary, as the face of your company, the people out there can't do what you can do. 
You can hire around your weaknesses, but they can't create another you. So always walk in your strengths. Don't let them tell you that because you have a weakness in a certain area that you can't do it. Because people tell me all the time, they're like, well, you're not in banking. How did you do this? How did you come up with this? Well, I did come up with it. And my strength is that I can take, I can see the problem and then create the solution. I learned everything else. Now they can do that. School's not going to teach you. That's my strength. That's my superpower. So tap into your superpower and put the pedal to the metal on that. Don't back away from that and hire around your weaknesses. That's how you surround yourself. That's how you build the team, the team of you. And that's where you get to the next spot. You heard it here. I'm into that. You heard it. Man, if people want to get more of Jante, what uh, social medias are you active on? Where can they go follow you and, and get some more of what you're putting out? Absolutely. So, you know, we have our business social media. So we, it's Nature Track. So at Nature Track on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. So it's Nature and then T R A K. My socials are Jante J underscore. So that's J O N T A E J underscore. And I have that on Instagram and Twitter as well. So feel free to follow us. You also can check out our website. That's naturetrack.com. Awesome. Awesome. So we'll make sure we have links to that in the show notes for everyone to get to that. And once again, man, thank you for coming on. Excited about what you're doing. And like I said, we are booking you to come back to talk about VC so we can do a little VC class for the minority money community. No, absolutely. I really appreciate your time and having me on your amazing platform here. Thank you so much. Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. Man, as you all know, this is the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly. Until next time. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast, so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here and until next time.